hello everyone. My name is Abby Odio. Welcome to the Toward Wholeness podcast. It's a real joy uh, for me to be here today and to introduce to you our very special guests. If you've listened to any episode prior to this one, you will certainly know of these folks. Richard and Donna Dahlstrom are dear friends of mine. Uh, They are both incredibly gifted in their own right. Richard, as many of you know, is the co-host of Toward Wholeness. Uh, Richard and I also pastor together, a community of faith in Seattle, Washington. And then there's Donna, who I'm going to go out on a limb and say is his better half, if that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Donna is a lover and expert of the great outdoors. She is a leader. She is an encourager. Uh, I would say she's a deep empath. Um, I remember one of our first weekends in Seattle, we had just moved here, my husband and I, and I maybe had met Donna a time or two before um, this encounter, but she greeted me with enthusiasm and a huge hug. And I just remember kind of collapsing in her arms a bit. Like that moment was exactly what I needed and I didn't know it. And um, so I just have such love and appreciation for you both. Uh, thank you for being willing to to join us today. Uh, and you, Richard, to be here in kind of a new way as the interviewee. Um, so grateful to have you here. It's a great privilege. Thanks, Abby. Thanks a bunch. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. So between the two of you, there are a number of topics you could speak to. So that's worth saying up front. But I specifically invited you to join me today to dive into an important conversation around this uh, notion of commitment. And one of the things that I'm certainly increasingly aware of, I think both culturally, but also just in in kind of my own spirit, is um, sort of this pervasive sentiment towards an inability to commit. And I want to say a bit more about that, but there's sort of this idea or this notion out there that if it's hard, if it doesn't serve me well, then I just don't do it. And I think that is certainly a generational thing. I'm 34 years old. And in many ways, this idea of embracing difficult things is something I've experienced very differently than say my parents or my grandparents. But just kind of statistically, we're seeing this too. Fewer people are getting married in in the United States. In 2019, census results came back indicating that marriage is actually at an all-time low. So per 1,000 unmarried adults in 2019, only 33 got married. Now we can compare that to 1970, where that number was 86. Um, And I want to name that there's a lot of layers to that data. I don't want to oversimplify it, but it certainly speaks to this trend around commitment and our, our willingness to enter into these areas of both joy and difficulty and, and say, I'm in. We see that in job duration is shorter than ever before. So uh, some data suggests that almost 25% of millennials in the workforce have switched jobs in the last year. And I think that's, again, different than maybe our parents' generation where folks worked one or two jobs in a lifetime and they stayed with that company. And there was kind of this this loyalty to a particular role. Uh, and then, of course, in this this past year, we've seen kind of this notion of cancel culture 
come to be. It seems like increasingly if a company or a person doesn't align with our values, then we drop it. And we do that with zero room for conversation or for growth. And so, you know, 2020 has been a hard year in many ways. We have faced what's been a monstrosity of a year. And one of the things that I've noticed is, especially for us kind of millennials and and Gen Z folk, like we've had to just go through it. You know, I'm reading my my son's, the book, one of their favorites right now is that going on a bear hunt book. And Hmm. it's about this family that's, you know, going out on a bear hunt and they encounter all these obstacles. And the, the line that's kind of on refrain in that is we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to go through it. So in a way, our hands kind of been forced this past year. Like we've had to do this hard thing and there's just Hmm. been no choice in that. And it's been hard for everyone. I I have yet to meet a person (laughs) that would, would disagree with that sentiment. And so that brings me to the two of you. You know, you just celebrated your 25-year anniversary pastoring at Bethany Community Church here in Seattle. You have been married for, I believe, Donna, tell me, how many years? 41. 41. 41 years. And you have, kind of in these various spheres of your life, embraced this notion of commitment. And it's something that I value in the two of you, I think. (laughs) I kind of hold up as an example. Um, I've certainly leaned into your wisdom around that personally. And I just have this sense that we have so much to learn from you around this idea of sticking with things. And we certainly see kind of that, that idea in scripture that we're kind of formed through these hard, difficult seasons where where we stick it out. And that notion of covenant runs all through the Bible where God is kind of saying, stick with me, I will stick with you. And there's a richness and a growth and a wisdom in that. And so that's what I want to lean into today. I'm hopeful that we can kind of unpack some of your experience as it speaks to this idea of, of commitment. So with that said, I want to begin by kind of giving our listeners some insight into who the two of you are. So you've been married for 42 years. That's well done. (laughs) Um, But I want you to think back to maybe that first year of marriage or those early years. What would you say was your greatest challenge? It's okay if your answers are different. What kind of personal lessons have you each had to learn maybe through some of those challenges in order to sustain your relationship and to stay in it? I think for me, thinking thinking back on it, and this may sound like, oh, duh, but realizing that there were other ways of doing things than mm. the way I did things. There were different tastes in foods. There were different mm. holiday traditions. And somehow that came as a surprise to me. Uh, I was just... Yeah. What? You don't open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve. You actually have to wait until Christmas morning. I mean, that first Christmas Eve together, I was so depressed and I couldn't figure out why. And it was that it was kind of that realization that, oh, I'm I'm not always right. And I think that was really my personal lesson early on Mm. in our marriage is that I'm not always right and I'm not always easy to live with. Um, so I really had to recognize and own my own faults and shortcomings. So that kind of came as a as a surprise. Sure. I think like Disney and Hallmark movies, they always end with a wedding and a happily ever after. And 
So I think I wanted to add to that, um, that I quickly learned that a lot of hard work and conflict resolution needed to go in to make that an ever after kind of thing. And I didn't see that demonstrated in my own upbringing. I think there were conflicts with my parents, but I didn't get to hear them. They were done elsewhere. Um, So I never really saw how that, that resolution happened. So the first time that we had a disagreement, I panicked. But Richard just very calmly went into conflict resolution mode and he de-escalated the tone. And I've always appreciated that I feel heard and brought into that restoration of the relationship process. It just felt really honoring. But it came as a surprise um, to me because maybe it was that I was the youngest and I had three older brothers and, you know, it's the princess mentality. But I just never seemed to be wrong in my upbringing. (laughs) So it was sort of a surprise that I was that I'm not always right. So so that was a good lesson. And it's not even a matter of right and wrong, in my opinion, I, I think. There, there are just different tastes, and Donna did grow up in an environment where uh, I think you were affirmed a lot by your by your dad, and then I'm this male figure who grew up in a house where conflict was pretty normal and drama was pretty normal in a way. And so I'll just never forget on our honeymoon. I think it was the first night we were married. Donna was cooking a lovely meal, and it was a lovely meal. But she didn't spice the mashed potatoes at all. Like there was probably salt in it or something. Yeah, there was salt. And I and I just said really matter-of-factly, these are really boring. And it devastated her. I mean, <laughs> she was undone by that. And uh, that was like the first of this ongoing revelation of how different we are in every way. We both love the outdoors and that kind of drew us together in a way and continues to be a glue and a passion that we share. But beyond that, how we approach God, how we how we do spiritual disciplines, our gifts, our bents, how we resolve conflict, we are very, very, very different people. And so I think the thing that I needed to learn over, over the first probably 10 years of marriage, even 15 was like at some point a light went on for me where I go, oh, wait a minute. The fact that she's profoundly organized and empathic is annoying at times, but it's actually a deep gift. And if I can see her, if I can see these differences as an asset that completes me, this is going to go way better. But I'd say there was 10 or 15 years when I was trying to make her into me in a way. And like, you need to read what I read. You need to, you can't, go for a hike, you need to run. And when we hike together, the summit is the goal, not the flowers along the way kind of thing. And uh, we've learned now to, I think, celebrate each other, feel Mm -hmm. like, and we balance each other out. But it took, I'd say it took 15 years to get there. So I'm glad we stuck with it was the moral of that story, right? Because it, to your point, Abby, many people are like, oh, this isn't working. And I really feel like many people, whether it's in a faith community or a marriage or a vocation, in walking away prematurely are failing to unwrap some pretty profound gifts that God may have for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I hear in both of your sharing. Well, first of all, I'll say I've been married for four years and I feel like 11 more years is a long time, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm going to set that as the expectation. And then if, you know, if we get there sooner, it'll, it'll be something to celebrate. So you kind of jumpstarted us. We, we had that five years of just us. And so, 
Um, yeah, sure. so we have a lot of things to work out before then. So you're kind of doing it in the crucible of having little ones in the home at the same time. So right, yeah. right, yes, and I think kids are certainly a commitment in their own right, which we could we could talk about. But <laughs> that's um, another whole podcast. <laughs> that's another whole podcast. Absolutely, I think there's this sentiment I'm hearing from both of you that when. Uh, there's almost a humility to stepping into a commitment like this. There's a sense mm. that um, I am going to disappoint the other and I'm going to be disappointed. And mm. I think in that moment, there's a choice mm-hmm. that we learn to make when the mashed potatoes are not spiced. Will I make space for that? Will I allow <laughs> Richard's story and experience and preference to enrich my own? Or will my defenses go up and will I double down on kind of my way as being the way? And I, I certainly, I'm laughing as you share that story because for Sam and I, I remember the first six months, our most significant fight was around the fact that I like to stay up late and read. And so he would fall asleep and I would want to have my little book light on and I don't like Kindles. And so for six months, we, we just beat this conversation to death and it it was it's such an insignificant thing but i think there's there's this learning that is so critical if we're willing to open ourselves up to it yes uh, yeah and i think for me and i would be curious to hear for you from from each of you but the identity piece becomes so significant in that because donna like you i i sort of grew up in a home where we could do no wrong. I could do no wrong. You know, my parents were very affirming. We were the apple of their eye. You know, I grew up hearing I could be the president if I wanted, which is laughable on so many levels. And so when when I stepped into this relationship with Sam and he was offering feedback that wasn't overwhelmingly positive, it really challenged that identity piece. And it was, it scared me a little bit. Like if I'm not all, if I'm not all these wonderful things, then what am I? And I think I, I think that drove me to address and continues to drive me to address some of these deeper questions of identity. And I wonder if that resonates with the two of you and your experience. Oh my goodness, you couldn't totally. have said it more beautifully. That's exactly me. That's why we're such kindred spirits. Because that's completely, yeah, my experience in that. I think though my experience was the opposite, but creates the same question, right? Like I, I will never forget uh, coming home from uh, my junior year in high school, and I'm in advanced trigonometry. It's an honors class, and mm. I got a B, so I ended up my report card that semester was a 3.8 instead of a 4.0. And my mom, just mm. matter of factly, like I did with the potatoes, was like, Well, you know, your sister got an A in that class, and you probably could have if you'd have worked harder. And I, mm. I learned to respond to conflict by blowing it off, basically, and saying, I reject your rejection of me. <laughs> and, and I kind of withdrew into this, this other world of tennis and baseball and basketball and sport with my friends. And so I became kind of impervious. I tried to build an identity that was impervious to criticism in a way. And there's a mm. there, there's a silver lining in that I think it served me well. We ch- we chatted about that just this weekend about how we need thick skin in the work that we do. On the other hand, there's a dark side to it as well, where I lose that empathy ability and I lose that ability to really hear what the other is saying. So 
the reason that this was a 15-year journey, I think, to better intimacy was when Donna would try and say things that were critical, they would literally bounce off. Like it was like I did not even hear her, mm-hmm. you know. And and so mm-hmm. it took me a while to, to to realize, oh, I have these family issues that that have shaped me in an unhealthy way. But marriage was the crucible for that. I don't think I would have learned it anywhere else. Because uh, the beauty of mm. the marriage, in a way, was there's kind of nowhere else to go. You're there. You're kind of with each other. And you could, le- I guess you could leave, but there were things to learn. And and so we were learning from each other in pretty profound ways. It was really uh, hard. Mm. <laughs> but in, retrospectively, sure. really good looking back. I think you touch on a really important idea and that being an understanding of our own history is so important in any commitment that we make, whether it be a job, a career, uh, a person, a child, but so much of what we fear and how we interact with challenge, which inevitably will happen in these spheres, is shaped by how we were raised and, and whether or not our parents fought in front of us or in the bedroom, or just these these seemingly insignificant things that over time have really given depth and dimension to, to how we engage with other people. Mm. And I think that's, that's such a, a good word for me, and I think our listeners as well, just to reflect on where have we come from? And what did that, what did that, what patterns and habits has that encouraged in our own story? And is there a time when swimming upstream against those, like they serve us well for, for a season, but is there a time when actually laying them aside as, as terrifying as that can be for a lot of people is, is actually necessary in order to receive? So this notion of love in our culture is certainly something that's romanticized. That's kind of an age old truth. Um, we all know the sort of warm, fuzzy benefit of that Hallmark movie love. And Don, I think you just spoke to this when you said we're all used to the Disney movies where, you know, it ends with the kiss and happily ever after. But moving beyond sort of those surface surface notions, I'm curious how you would characterize sort of the gift that you've received from the other, so Donna from Richard and Richard from Donna, the other's steadfast commitment to you. Well, I would say, first of all, I would answer it at two, a couple of layers, I guess. Like when I proposed to Donna, I asked if she would marry me and she said, tell me why you want to marry me. Which Donna, is- I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great question. And I, and I said, uh, well, there are, there are three reasons. You give me freedom to fail. And you have a great sense of humor. You make me laugh. And, you'll, and you're willing to live anywhere in the world. And I would say those things never changed. Uh, and, and so mm-hmm. I, I'm grateful that I knew her well enough. I mean, she doesn't always make me laugh, obviously, but she has a great sense of humor. And I've always appreciated those things. And so that became kind of a, like I use this word picture of a love bank. Like I picture a, a little piggy bank and there's, there's deposits that you're putting in or withdrawals you're taking out. And uh, those were the three big deposits at the beginning that sustained us through difficult times. But then along the way, what's been so awesome is uh, to speak to your family 
history stuff a little bit, Abby, is I feel like we've kind of fallen into this paradigm of watching our life through this lens of what is God teaching us right now? And she's become the great interpreter for me in a way. And so we might be watching a television show and I'll get a little weepy. And then it's, it's because there's a family thing there. Or I'll get angry about this and we'll step back and say, oh, this isn't really about Donna not driving to the airport to pick me up. This is really about abandonment issues that I had as an adopted person, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just profoundly, I remain Mm -hmm. profoundly grateful for somebody to help interpret my life in a way. And so often things just come up in the course of daily life. You know, this was years ago, but we were watching um, some Kevin Costner movie about, about baseball in a cornfield field of dreams. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, and uh, I never remember titles. We're watching this movie. And when he said, do you want to play a little catch? I started sobbing. My dad had died at the time. It would have been about 12 years earlier and baseball was our closest bond and it led to this whole discussion between Don and I about my relationship with my dad versus my mom. And we stayed up and talked for hours. And I'm just so grateful. That's what yeah. I'm grateful for. That she's been the interpreter of my of my yeah. life story. So that's my gratitude. You go ahead, babe. I think that kind of affirmation, um, I realize, you know, as we went through the love languages, you know, and trying, what is it that you hear as love and and how do you speak love into other people's lives? That was a really excellent book for me to read um, in understanding not just my relationship with Richard, but other people like my mother-in-law and, and realizing that, that people hear love in different ways. And, for me, it's definitely words of affirmation. And Richard has a really good balance between challenging me, but then also affirming me. You know, I mean, I've always been grateful that he introduced mm-hmm. me to garlic cloves. I never had seen a garlic clove in my life, you know, and garlic in mashed potatoes is amazing. So yes, my mashed potatoes are better now than they were, you know, when we first got married. So you know, it was it was learning how to, I think, receive that challenge. But he always did it in such a way of, of also couching it in affirmation of this way is good, but could we maybe, you know, tweak it a little bit? And so I think over time, I've been able to interpret that as a kindness, you know, as a way of, of me becoming a better person. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, we kind of, we try to draw mm. out the best in each other, I think in that way, but, but couched in an affirming, mm. not a, a browbeating kind of thing at all. That's, I love the metaphor of the mashed potatoes. <laughs> I think that, that's a really fun <laughs> picture of marriage in so many ways. And I think you touch on something really important, Donna, which is this notion of unconditional love and acceptance, like having that context and the necessity of that. I think it's John and Julie Gottman who who say that it's crucial in order for healthy growth to happen and healthy conflict to happen is this this notion that I am I'm loved and accepted deeply and fully and unquestionably. So that's a really encouraging picture. So I want to switch gears a bit now. And I want to ask you some questions regarding your commitment, really as a couple to this community of faith. And I mentioned that Richard has served as a senior pastor at Bethany Community Church in Seattle for 25 years now. And I've been there just two years, but I've been there long enough 
to see it in its beauty and its brokenness. Uh, I know from the stories that it's changed a lot over the years. Donna, I should mention as well, Donna is absolutely a full partner in that work, leading various ministries, but I think also just in leading our church well. Like you are certainly a part of that in a, a really important way. So over the last 25 years, as there have kind of been changes internally, but also I want to just name changes and challenges, unprecedented challenges in certain ways, kind of with evangelicalism in America, the ebbs and flows and the politicizing that we've seen therein and the infighting that we've seen therein. And I would say just also some of this, the scandal that we've seen therein. It's mm-hmm. it's not a easy family to be a part of. And so I'm curious, what has kept you serving in this role together? And similar to that question around marriage, what has been the benefit of of staying through those difficult seasons? I think for me, um, when we first started, and I had alluded to this um, a while back, uh, we were encouraged by Pastor John and his wife, Ione, um, who we took over from after they'd been there for 37 years and actually were pastors to us when we were college students in Seattle, was to tangle our heartstrings. And I had never heard that term before. And we had come from running a retreat center where we had, you know, we had guests in and out. We had staff that were there for, you know, various lengths of time, but but never really long term. Um, and so I didn't really understand the whole, what does that mean, tangling your heartstrings? And, and they really encouraged us. Just, they said, just get to know these people and get mixed up in their lives and just live life with them. So we kind of began doing that. 25 years ago now. And and since that time, I think that's really what has sustained us. I mean, we have this, this group of friends. We have done bridal showers, baby showers, rehearsal dinners. We've done each other's kids' wedding receptions. They, we've gone on vacation together. We've gone on vacations together. We've yeah. done memorial services for their parents. You know, we've just, we've been really just uh-huh. like, just tangled up in, in all their aspects of their lives. And so, but for me, I think a really challenging time was about 10 years in and we started to get multiple services and and I began to lose touch with some of those who, who we affectionately call vintage Bethany, you know, the people who'd really brought us there um, a long time ago. And so there were more people coming, which was great on the one hand, we were rejoicing in that. But on the other, I was faced with the fact that other people had other ways of doing things. And I had to let go of my own comfortable ways. I'm, I'm reticent to change. Um, Richard could attest to that, but he doesn't need to right now. Um, <laughs> But, um, you know, while I was thrilled that there were so many people coming and finding community at Bethany, I was also grieving the loss of familiarity, especially when so many of our high level volunteers ventured to establish new Bethany locations. And so opportunities to to draw us away and uh, that looked fun and adventurous. And so our heartstrings were all tangled up with these people um, and we just couldn't see ourselves leaving. Like we had these opportunities to maybe go to a different place, but mm. but those people kept us grounded. You know, those those relationships and then recognizing that my way isn't always the best way. You know, so we learned that in our marriage, but I also learned that in the church. You know, there are there are other ways of of doing things and and viewing things. And so I think that's what really kept me there was just was the relationships and just seeing the value in those people and and staying. I say for me, it was a bit different. I uh, we we had traveled 
in Italy at some point, and we're on a train, ended up in conversation with the couple sitting opposite of us who were Italian. Somehow it came out to them that I was a pastor, and they, in Italian, said it differently. Pastor, they put the accent on the second half. But they, what they expressed it sounds so me, much more. It, it sounds more dignified or something. Yeah. Go ahead. What they, what they said. Yes, me, I don't know. I, pastor. I'm yeah, yeah. That way. They, they said, uh, we've never met a pastor with joy uh, and so personable. And thank you. You've kind of given us a new idea of what it could mean to be a quote unquote person of the cloth for them, you know, and that really had a profound impact on me because I had come to Bethany ambivalent about coming for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons was during my time as a pastor previously, there were a number of sexual scandals among pastors and I did not want to wear that label of pastor. I didn't want to wear it at all. And then after that encounter on the train, I was like this, you know what? I think part of my calling is to reframe that word so that people can realize, oh, here's a pastor and he loves the outdoors and he skis. He's not NES joy or whatever. I want I want I wanted to reframe the word in a sense, right? And then more recently, as you and I know, Abby, the same manner in which the word pastor was denigrated and misrepresented in the 80s, the name evangelical has has faced the same exact challenge now, I would say. And I am not sure still if the label survives or not. But in the moment, I, I want to hang on to at least the word because the word means good news. And I want to go, you know what? Actually, we still gather because there is good news, because there's a God who created the world. There's a God who loves us infinitely more than we can even imagine, who desires for all people, black, white, gay, straight, in, out, uh, shalom, peace a sense that I can sleep at night because I know that my world is intact. The word evangelical should mean, hey, we have good news. Those deepest longings can be met. So I'm, I'm hesitant to give up the word, and it kind of makes me double down and go, okay, let's, let's see if we can give this word a new meaning, at least in our little community. You know, we're not huge, but if we can make a dent in that word in the city of Seattle, I'll feel like it's a worthwhile project. So that's kind of kept me in the game, this sense of, oh, you know what? The temptation is to just walk away and say, this stuff's polluted. Well, it's polluted because we're all human, but actually our calling is to reframe it in a more positive light. Well, I was just thinking um, in, in terms of, you know, would I ever want to leave the faith community? Yes, it's been a really hard season. And I, I consider myself post-evangelical. I don't even want to. I, I appreciate Richard's desire to redeem the word, and I just want to run away from it. But I think... Um, because of those heartstrings I was talking about, that pulls me back in. And I'm grateful for that love and support in this era of individualism, because we all have a really important role and it's all an ecosystem. Um, the Bible talks about different parts mm. of the body being significant. And I'll tell you, I never once mm. thought about my inner ear being important until Christmas Eve when it became damaged this year. And that tiny, seemingly insignificant part of my body dra dramatically altered 
altered my world. And so I never, so never underestimate the significance that you have, that each person has to be that visible expression of Jesus. Uh, the whole thing of just love God and love others, if we can distill it down to those two things, that's what we have to offer. And we all have a role to play in that. So I just encourage people not to check out because of a label that's that's been misused and misaligned, but just to get back to the core of love God and love others. That's what keeps me there. Sure. That's really beautiful. I actually was going to name that very, that very command to, to love God. And I felt like Richard, you were sort of getting at that. Like there's this, this vertical interaction that enables me to know myself and trust that I'm held in this, Mm -hmm. in this universe by a higher and loving and sustaining power. And then Donna, as you mentioned, the, the kind of horizontal piece of that commandment to love other people and to stay engaged. I think I think of this year and just how we've all been moved into these spaces of isolation and how that has really unmasked our need for other people and how deeply dependent we are on one another in so many ways. And so, yeah, you use that word ecosystem. And I think that's absolutely right. Like doing life on our own is so difficult. And so we were created, we were created for these relationships. And so to find our our way into them and to not be overwhelmed by the disagreement or to not shy away from hard conversations for sure. It's not a, it's not a piece that is without challenge, but it's worth fighting for maybe is the, is Mm -hmm. the way to say it. It's worth, it's worth staying in the ring because it's it's so core to our human experience and the way God created us to be. And so I really resonate with what you shared and appreciate it. I'm curious if there's been any practices for you. I know the outdoors is probably a part of this, um, but practices for you collectively or individually that have sustained you as you've kind of stayed in this work, as you've stayed committed to a, a church body and to loving them well and leading them well? Um, I think it's been harder in the last little season for some reason but I, uh, we've tried to keep a Friday Sabbath and at least part of that time have it be together, the two of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in its best iteration, we go for a hike uh, and share lunch and then come back and have a nice conversation. And for me, that has been the most life-sustaining thing because I think my love language is time spent together and recreational companionship. And so... Uh, if we can just do something like that, that's that's super helpful. And I think we give each other space when we hike for you know silence, and uh, we don't try and solve all the problems personally or or globally. Uh, and je- we receive, I think, things that we can then share. You know, uh, when we come back together, I've found that mm-hmm. to be our together thing mostly, mm-hmm. right? And then I have my own devotional life and she has her own devotional life that could never go well if we tried to do it together (laughs) it'd be be a disaster and that is true um so for me i think it's it's being out in nature it's seeing life lessons in the smallest things whether it's a piece of moss on a tree or tracks in the snow from a snowshoe hare or you know just 
yeah, and just seeing the trees that they look like they're dormant in winter, but they are still pumping out oxygen and drawing resources from mm. deep, deep beneath our 10 foot snowpack. And um, yeah, so and just how do those uh, inform our own lives and how what can we learn? What can we learn from that book of creation that God's given us? Yeah. Sam and I moved up here from California. It's almost been three years now, but I found myself the other day missing Yosemite. And in particular, missing standing in front of those rock walls, El Capitan, and just the feeling of, I am so small. And, (laughs) and, and this has all been here for so long. And yet there's a, there's a significance to my story as well, but but there's something so comforting about God's commitment to creation, you know, mm-hmm. is this, I'm here for the long haul. And <laughs> so I, I certainly resonate with the, the expression of creation and connecting with that as a, as a means of being sustained and fed. I want to end with just this final question. And again, kind of getting back to this notion of commitment, what would you say to, to a person who's, Man, we've we've gone through this difficult year. We've certainly seen some of that difficulty really surface in particular within evangelicalism, within the the big C church. And we've seen that around, man, sex scandals. And we've seen that around really bitter infighting. We've seen that in kind of these conversations around race and justice and reconciliation. We've seen it around things like, should churches be meeting in person right now or should they not? And it's become a highly politicized kind of contention point amongst folks who exist, have existed historically in deep relationship with one another. And so I'm curious to the person who's maybe been a part of that or who has seen it from a distance or or who's just feeling kind of exasperated and put out, what word of encouragement would you offer? And Donna, I feel like you kind of spoke to this a bit already. So I just want to name that that's important, but I also wanted to offer you, Richard, a chance to speak into it or to, to add any thoughts you might have? No, that's great. I mean, I, I think that uh, my, my kind of understanding of the gospel is that something amazing has happened in the cosmos as a result of Jesus and the cross, and that it has already created kind of this nascent healing that is just not seen because we have layers and layers and layers of, you know, lies and insecurities and anger and et cetera, et cetera, that is, has encrusted over Mm -hmm. the news. So I guess it's helpful for me to go, yeah, so the church is an institution. I don't care how, if it's a house church or a mega church, it's still an institution. It's a group of people who've covenanted to come together for a purpose and as such, they have to make decisions together. And as such, they're not going to see everything eye to eye. But under that, there's this risen Christ who is, you know, in you, Abby, and in that person who voted differently than you. And we all have layers of insecurity. But like my my goal is to, I, I just want to keep digging because I know that treasure is there in, in a sense, right? It's there in the collective. It's there in the individual's. And if I can stay in relationship, then I'm going to I'm gonna uncover more and more of that glory. If I walk away, it's, it's my loss. It, this reminds me of the parable of that guy who found a treasure in a field and he went out and paid everything for it. And I'm like this, man, here's, here's a group of bro- – yes, 
of course, broken people. And in this time, more polarized. And in this time, carrying our idols around, you know, of individualism and nationalism. And yet under all those layers, there's still, there's still Christ. And it's beautiful. And I don't want to miss that. And I don't want other people to miss it because that is what our world hungers for, is that exact beauty that is found in community. And it shows up if we keep showing up. Yeah, that's profound. Thanks, Richard. It has been such a joy. I enjoy you two so much. So thank you for being here today for for chatting. Thank you for loving me and my little family so well. And um, you are uh, certainly an example to us and on many fronts. And so I just appreciate the richness that you bring, the honesty that you bring. Um, and ultimately, I think the hope that you bring to uh, both our listeners and in and, and our community of faith and, and our city. So God bless you both. And, and I can't wait to talk more. Thanks for listening, everyone, to this episode of Toward Wholeness. We look forward to being with you again soon.